Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so we put a trailer out on the driveway there, and we said, you will live here. <laughs> and so he lived there for several years while he attended Christian Heritage College. And so, you know, Solomon just taught us everything we needed to know. And he used to talk about how critical the harvest time was. And he told me that in Nebraska, where they have thousands of acres, or thousands, I don't remember, anyway, he told me that the family would sit around not doing a whole lot while the crop was growing, but when harvest time came, it was all hands on deck. And Solomon told me how during harvest time, he would drive tractor around the clock, 24 hours straight. He told me one time when he was nine years old, he was driving a tractor with a baler, be, pull, pulling a baler behind the tractor, and he fell asleep, nine-year-old kid, he fell asleep, he fell off the seat of the tractor, and he was heading right for the ground, and if he would have fallen on the ground, he would have been killed by the baler that he was dragging behind. But God saved his life by causing his foot to get tangled up in the pedal. And so he was dangling along there, falling, anyway, he, and so he's still alive. So the harvest time is a critical time for a farm, and it was a critical time for Boaz's farm. And like any farm, Boaz is in the business of farming. Boaz is a businessman. It's a business operation. And a norm, for a normal businessman like Boaz, he would have a lot on his mind right now. For a normal businessman like Boaz, he'd have the weather on his mind because the weather was out of his control and the weather could ruin his harvest. For a normal businessman like Boaz, he would have the safety of his reapers on his mind. It was a dangerous job swinging those sickles sharp enough to cut a man's hand off. For a normal businessman like Boaz, he would have a lot on his mind for the overall, just the operation of the harvest. Everything's got to work. Are there enough reapers? Are there enough sheaf binders? Are the carts operating properly? Is there enough water in the vessels to keep them watered? Is there enough food for the workers? Are the storehouses all cleaned out? They're ready to receive the harvest. Are there any buyers lined up to buy the grain? Lots and lots of things on his mind. And those are just some of the things that a normal businessman like Boaz would have on his mind, especially after he's been away from his farm in Bethlehem City, and now he's returning and he's wondering, what's been happening since I've been gone? And a normal businessman would return from Bethlehem during this most critical harvest time, and the first thing out of his mouth when he reached the field would be, where's the foreman? Where's the man who set over the, my servants, as you described? I need a report from the foreman. How's the harvest going? Are we on time? What's our plan for the harvest? What are the unexpected, what are the issues? What are the obstacles that have come up to delay the harvest? See, a normal businessman, while he's on his way back from Bethlehem, his mind is percolating, his mind is churning, his mind is, you know, he's already imagining himself in the fields. And he's imagining what's happening, I gotta get back to the farm. A normal businessman, that's a normal businessman. 
he would have created all sorts of questions, you know, succinct questions, I want succinct answers to the questions as soon as I get back to the farm. That's a normal businessman. His first consideration would be about making money from his crops. The first thing out of the normal businessman's mouth when he got back from Bethlehem during the harvest time would be related to making money from the harvest. Now, Boaz is not a normal businessman. He's far from it. And the proof that Boaz is not a normal businessman can be seen in the first words out of his mouth, which has nothing to do with making money from the harvest. That's a tremendous impact in verse 4. Because a tremendous impact comes behind the word behold. That's when God says, you got to look at this. This is not normal. you got to really look at this. This is not a normal thing that's going to happen here. That's why he uses the word behold. In verse 4, God's saying to us, do you see the first words out of the mouth of Boaz? This is the critical time of the harvest that we're talking about right here. And look at these words. He's just gotten back from Bethlehem. So with this word behold, in verse 4, God's saying to us, do you see what he's been thinking about? when he's been traveling back from Bethlehem to his farm. See, this word, behold, God's saying to us, do you see how unoccupied Boaz is with himself? You see how unoccupied Boaz is with making money for himself from his harvest? You see how Boaz is occupied with other people? Behold, in verse 4, God's way of saying, this is unusual for a businessman. You don't see this every day in a businessman. A businessman's more concerned about my business, but not this businessman. This businessman is more concerned about God's business of harvesting souls. Most businessmen are concerned about their business of harvesting grain, but this businessman is concerned about harvesting souls. That's the word behold in verse four. God's saying, Boaz is taking care of my business, which is harvesting souls. And now you watch me take care of his business of harvesting grain. See, Boaz heard the same message I did. After God saved Scanabodies from this crushing loss, this crushing blow, this lawsuit from the $6 billion Quest Diagnostics, and God protected us through the whole thing. And I, God said to me, Tom, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. And Tom did, and God did. And looks the same phrase came to Boaz. God said to Boaz, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. And Boaz did, and God did. That's the opposite of current natural thinking, which is you take care of your own business and God will help you take care of your own business. <laughs> you know, God helps those that help themselves. You've heard that before. That's contrary to what the Bible teaches. Because the Bible teaches in Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And that verse is not teaching God helps those who help themselves. That verse is teaching the opposite. God helps those who help God. Now, Boaz is more concerned about getting this harvest for God than about getting a harvest for himself. That's why Boaz did his job of taking care of God's harvest business. And the proof that he did it is what he says in verse 4 and 5. Notice verses 4 and 5. Didn't read 5, but notice it. Notice in verse 4, the first party that Boaz speaks to in verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to who? Unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless thee. Now now, now, now look at verse 5. The second party that Boaz speaks to, verse 5. Then Boaz spake unto who? The servant that was set over his reapers. 
that'd be the manager. And whose damsel is this? See, the first party that Boaz spoke to in verse 4 was the group called the reapers. That'd be the large group of laborers. The second party that Boaz speaks to in verse 5 is his servant that was set over the reapers. That'd be the supervisor, manager, whatever you want to call it, the guy in charge. A normal businessman whose first priority is making money from his own harvest business would speak first to the person identified in verse 5, the servant that was set over the reapers. And he would first get with his manager or the servant set over the reapers and ask questions. How's the harvest going? How much progress have we made in the harvest? How much harvest have we collected? How much harvest has been lost? How much harvest do we have yet to collect? When, 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 when? When is the harvest going to be here, going to be there, going to be there, and finally going to be finished and safe in the storehouse? See, all that's information would come from the manager or the servant that was set over the reapers. And if the first priority of Boaz was his own harvest business, then Boaz wouldn't be wasting his time speaking to the reapers, as he did in verse 4, but he'd be speaking to the manager. That's why it's so important to see in verse 4 those words how Boaz said unto his reapers. See, one thing is very important from a business point of view. You want everything to go smooth in the business. You set in place and you honor and preserve the chain of command. And from a chain of command point of view, there was verse 5, the servant that was set over the reapers. He was in between Boaz and the reapers. And Boaz, if he's only concerned about his harvest business, he would have respected the chain of command and would not be communicating with the reapers, but he would be communicating with the verse 5 servant that was set over the reapers. From a business chain of command point of view, there's no reason. It's counterproductive for Boaz to be speaking to the reapers because the reapers have got to hear one message. So Boaz is not talking to the reapers about business in verse 4. That's the reason why he speaks directly to the reapers. He's humble. Boaz is a humble person because he cares about his workers. He wants to encourage his workers. He's speaking to the reapers as believers. And Boaz realizes among believers, there's no boss. There's no employee status because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we all stand there as forgiven sinners at the foot of the cross. Among believers, there's no Jew. There's no Gentile status because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all stand level. Among believers, there's no male and female status because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all stand equal, forgiven sinners at the foot of the cross, which is what Paul meant when he said in Galatians 3, 27 through 28, for as many as you has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So as Boaz looks at his believing reapers, he sees that in Jehovah Jesus, they're all one. There's no class distinction there. And so he speaks directly to them. He speaks to their hearts, nothing about business or about work. He speaks to them about their heart needs. And I've learned so much from the example of Boaz here to see persons as work as individual souls. Actually, I've learned this also from my colleagues in our Mexican company down in Tecate. I learned from them that when you first speak to a colleague in Mexico, you don't jump into business to a question. You stop, you ask how they are, how things are going with their home, their family. Even though you may have some pressing thing on your mind, you don't jump there. 
And I've learned that before I ask a question at work, the, to really say and really mean, how are you? And then stop, <laughs> listen. And I found those three words mean so much when you mean it. How are you? <laughs> when you say, how are you? You really mean you want to know how they are. And you stop, for, wait for a response. I'll say, how are you? And then jump into the question and say, how are you? And then stop, you want to know. You and I can be so insensitive that we can just say it. How are you? And the person can say, I'm ready to die. And we could say, that's good. And go on to the business question. <laughs> that's not Boaz. That's not Boaz. Boaz cared for his reapers, who they really were. The more pressure that you're experiencing at work, the more meaningful it is when you put aside all that and you just say, how are you? How am I? You got so much problems at work. You want to know how I am? Yes, I really want to know. That's what Boaz did. And that's why it's so meaningful because everyone knew how the harvest time was the so much pressure, was the most amount of pressure on Boaz. And it spoke volumes to these reapers when in verse four, Boaz speaks directly to the heart of the reapers with a message that has nothing to do with the work. It reveals a heart of tenderness in Boaz. It reveals that he doesn't have a heart of harshness. He's not cracking the whip to know, you know, why this wasn't done and how this could be done better. We can see Boaz, it's tripped back. He's going back to his farm and he's thinking about what he's going to do to encourage his employees. And he's concluding the best thing he can do is to ask God, pray for them, that the Lord would be with them. This made Boaz a great man. It made him a great man because as rich as he was, he was humble enough to care for his workers that the Lord should be with them. Imagine this. Imagine this. Boaz, we see him in the busiest time of his business. He's been away from his enterprise in Bethlehem. And as way back, he's thinking to himself, my people, I wonder how they are. He's cogitating. All business people cogitate. I like that word, cogitate. (laughs) It should be a Yiddish word like chutzpah and schlep, but it's not you know, <laughs> so if I said to Don, Don, you're a cogitator, he'd get angry at me. And he says, who are you calling a cogitator? You know? <laughs> but Boaz is cogitating. He's cogitating. The first words out of his mouth show us what he's cogitating about on the way home. He's cogitating over the need, the need for the Lord to be with his employees. We can see Boaz on his way back. And he's in deep thought. He's in deep thought. What's he thinking about? He's reflecting on the great need. He's meditating on this. He's the greatest need for my employees is not for them to work harder for the harvest. The greatest need is not a work need. The greatest need for my employees is not for them to make more wages. The greatest need for my employees is not a compensation issue. The greatest need for my employees is none of that. My greatest need for my employees is a soul need. They have a soul need. The greatest need for my employees is for the Lord to be with them. What will I do for my employees for, so that the Lord will be with them? I'll pray for them. I'll pray for each one of them. I'll ask the Lord for each one of my Lord, you should be with this one. You should be with this one. Let me just take this time during this trip back to Bethlehem to just deeply reflect on each one. I can see their faces. I know their needs. I hear them and I can see them. I see their individual needs. Let me just meditate on each one. Let me see their face in my mind. Let me consider their individual needs. And then for each one of them, let me pray, Lord, be with him. I don't know all the answers for the needs of all my employees, but I know who does have the answers. That's the Lord. So let me just ask God to be with them. When I get back, I'm going to jump the chain of command and speak to the hearts of each one of them. That's our man, Boaz. That's Boaz. First words out of his mouth when he gets back in verse 4. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. Paints a picture of our man, Boaz. 
Boaz cares for the souls of people more than his own business. If I had a special coat this morning and I could say to you, this is a Boaz coat. And I said, if you put this Boaz coat on, then you'll care more for the souls of others than you do for yourself. If you put this Boaz coat on, then, then you'll care more about others than you do care about your own business and, and your own family. And if I held out this, this special Boaz coat this morning, how many of you would say, I need it. I need that Boaz coat. I need to put on that Boaz coat. I want to change. I want to change to care more about the souls of others than like Boaz did. And if I held it out this morning, I wonder how many of you would say, give me that coat. Give me that special Boaz coat. Make me care more about the souls of others than I do about myself. So now we ask the question of exactly what was Boaz saying when he, when he blessed his employees by saying, the Lord be with you. Well, Boaz said all that he could say when he said, the Lord be with you. Let's think about that. What was Boaz saying when he wished on them, when he prayed for them, when he blessed them with the blessing, the Lord be with you? When Boaz said that, the Lord be with you. First, Boaz is saying, the Lord be with you. Boaz is saying, the Lord be with you in reconciliation. By saying the Lord be with you, Boaz was saying that they should be reconciled to God. You can't be with somebody you're not reconciled to. So first, they should be reconciled. He knew that all his employees were not like him, but he knew that they all had the same problem that was described in Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is your heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face that he will not hear. And Boaz knew that Jehovah Jesus was forgiving, that he was saving, that he said in Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, for I am God, there is none else. So by saying the Lord be with you, Boaz is saying, like an ambassador for God, he's saying, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, I, as an ambassador for Christ, as though God did beseech you by me, I pray you in God's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He says, Lord be with you. He's saying, be reconciled to God. He's praying, begging his employees in the Jehovah Jesus' stead, be reconciled to God. Boaz knew that some of his employees weren't saved. They weren't reconciled to God. They were not talking terms with God. So he knew those employees were alienated from God. There were enemies with God, as he was, as every believer once was, and he wanted to change that condition from being alienated from God, from being an enemy of God. He wanted to change the present tense to the past tense. He wanted to, and so when he says, the Lord be with you, Boaz is saying to his employees, I want you to be able to say Colossians 1.21, and you that were sometime, were sometime, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, now he hath reconciled. See, Boaz's heart, it hurt till each of his employees was recognized with God. So he says, the Lord be with you. He said, he knew that life brings turmoil. To live is to become upset. To live is to become disturbed by what happens. And the great need is for peace. So by saying to his employees, the Lord be with you, Boaz is saying, you should have the peace of God with you. He knew peace comes from a person. He knew the truth of the source of peace, as it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace. Always, by all means, the Lord be with you all. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. See, Paul prayed, the Lord of peace himself gives them peace. And Paul knew that peace would come from the Lord be with you all. That's Boaz's prayer for them. 
Romans 15, 33, the God of peace be with you all. Now, Boaz is saying the Lord should be with his reapers. And so Boaz is asking for the grace of God to be with them. The other day, a person said to me, he said to me on the phone, he says, or he wrote me a thing, he said, you are a good man. He said that in my text, you know, you are a good man. And I thought to myself, no, I'm not. Because God said, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. The Lord looked down in Psalm 14, one through three. There's none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men. See if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Psalm 53, three. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none that doeth good, none that righteous, no, not one. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Get the picture? No, not one. So all these things are saying, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men in Psalm 14. See, there are any, he says any. So you get a picture, God's up there in heaven and he's looking down and he's got a, he's got a pad. He's, he's okay, I'm ready to write down the names. <laughs> a pad and a pencil. And I'm ready to make a list. Let's see, I'm going to make a list of all the people doing good. And he's looking for somebody. And at the end of his search, he throws his, he says, look, everybody, there's nothing. There's no one on the list. No, not one, he says. So, gives the impression. He says, you know, no, I can't find anybody. That includes you. That includes me. None of our names are on God's list of do-gooders. None. No, not one. That includes the employees of Boaz. None of their names is on the list of God's do-gooders. No, not one. So if there are no names on the list of God's do-gooders, the obvious question, is there another option? Is there a plan B to avoid the wrath and judgment of God? You and I and the employees of Boaz were not on God's A-list of do-gooders. You and I and the employees of Boaz were on God's other list that said wrath and destruction and corruption and rebellion against God. So our next question is, is, that, is there another option? Is there a plan B? And the answer is yes, grace. Like the song says, that's what grace is for. That's what grace is for. Grace is the other option. Grace is the plan B for sinners heading right down the middle of the road to hell. Mercy of not getting what we deserve. Grace of getting what we don't deserve. Heaven. So Boaz says, the Lord be with you. He's saying, you should have grace. The grace of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3.18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of God is embodied in a person. John 1.14, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace is a person. Now, he says, grace should be with you. The Lord should be with you. Also, truth. When he says the Lord be with you, he's talking about truth. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Come unto me, he says, all you that labor at heaven. Come unto me, be with me, and you'll find rest unto your souls. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Matthew 11, 28 through 29. First Chronicles 22, 18, where David says to Israel, is not the Lord your God with you? Hathen he given you rest on every side? And very interesting, the Lord be with them, the lost would be attracted to them. The Lord be with them, the lost would be attracted to them. That's what it says in Zechariah 8, 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take the hold of all nations, uh, the, of all languages of nations, even shall take the hold of him that is a Jew, saying, 
We will go with you. That's the lost. We will go with you, for we have heard God is with you. So today, with all these benefits of the Lord being with us, can I say anything more to you than what Boaz says to his reapers? The Lord be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Boaz, for his life, for the record of his life, for the challenge of his life. Help us to be like him. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.